Uh, Children, you could be dismissed for junior church. For the rest of you, would you turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So I don't want to embarrass her too much, but my firstborn is here, um, back from college. And I I can remember when I heard that uh, my wife was pregnant and and all the fears and the trepidations of, uh, can I be a good father? What do I need to do? I want to make sure that I can protect and nurture my children. And all the insecurities that you have as being first twin parents. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Joseph and Mary? Not only are they first-time parents, but who is going to be their son? (laughs) Their son is going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords, and they, I can't imagine the insecurity. How do you raise a perfect child? How do you raise a child who wrote the law? How do you raise a child who who spoke this world into existence? How do you raise a child who is sovereign and you're holding this baby in your arms? Well, well, I think that one of the ways that um, Joseph and Mary did it was because they followed God's word. And if you look here with me in Luke chapter 2, you're going to find that time after time after time, they said, I need to go back to the word and see what the word says to us about how to raise this child. I'll back up to a passage from last time in in Luke chapter 2, verse Um, 21, it says, at eight days old, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus in the name given by the angel before he was conceived, before he was conceived in the womb. One of the first things that they needed to do for their child was at eight days old, they needed to take him to have him circumcised and he was named. They were following God's word. And then we see a jump here. Uh, a jump of approximately, it's a total of 41 days from her birth. Now we are in the temple in verse 22. And when the time had came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Joseph and Mary, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written where? In the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifices according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Um, What were some of the things that needed to occur according to the scripture was that we were going to bring our child, our firstborn child at eight days old and have him circumcised as a right. That right was given back to Abraham and it has been fulfilled through this nation time after time. Um, And there was a right of Um, childhood purification. At 41 days, a woman who gives birth to a son would go into the temple and offer a sacrifice because she, prior to that, was ceremonially unclean. You would bring an animal and have that animal sacrificed as a burnt offering. Um, Usually it was a lamb. Um, In this case, when you were poor, you could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. So we could see that Mary and Joseph were extremely poor. They would bring the least required sacrifice. But they were fulfilling the law of God. What they were doing was step by step fulfilling the law of God in their lives and honoring him. 
And then there was this redemption of the firstborn son. That this firstborn son, going all the way back to Egypt, when the death of the firstborn, this firstborn son in non-priestly families was going to be given in service to God. He was given in service to God, and the Levites and the um, priests would have their rights, but if you were in a non-priestly family, you would offer your son to God. That's exactly what Mary and Joseph are doing. They are having their son circumcised. They're having this purification rite, and they're presenting him to God in the temple. And how were they raising the perfect child? They were raising the perfect child by the very word of God. But in verse 25 is where we want to spend most of our time, verse 25 to um, about 35 today. We want to look at a man, and his name is Simeon. Now, we've been looking at these praises, uh, these songs of praise, the praise of Mary. Uh, We looked at the praise of Zechariah. We looked at the praise of uh, the shepherds and the angels. And now we get a chance to look at this praise chorus or this prophecy by Simeon. Now, Simeon is a man that we know very little about. We only know about him from this uh, passage of scripture. Um, So I want you to set, I want to set the scene for you. Uh, The person that we're looking at primarily is Simeon. Uh, The place is Jerusalem. It is in the temple area. And what is happening is that Mary and Joseph have just gone through this pure, Mary has just gone through this purification rite. The focus of this whole thing is what God has done to reveal himself to his people. That God has come to reveal himself through Simeon and he is revealing himself to humanity. He is providing a way of salvation And the whole element that Simeon's going to be talking about is the good news of the gospel of God's amazing grace. So this morning, I want you to look at Simeon from a number of different ways. I want you to look at Simeon first, the man. Look with me in verse 25. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. What a resume, huh? I mean, it's like, you know, as you look at this man's life, as you look at his character, you see that he was righteous and he was devout. He was waiting and in essence watching, and he was obedient. He was being filled by God's Holy Spirit. We will see a little bit later on that he is a man that is at peace with God. So I want you to think about the time that Simeon's living in. Simeon's living in a time where it is mostly secular around him. Even those that are in the religious systems are living in a profane way. They're not living in a way that is honoring God. They're so worried about the things that are happening around them, the earthly things that are happening. They were mostly unconverted. The Pharisees and the scribes were the ones that were leading them. And you remember Jesus said it was the blind leading the blind, that even these religious leaders were not leading in a God-honoring way. They were not taking people to God They were actually hindering them from seeing God. But I want you to think about this, that in the darkest times, as we've been seeing, that God always has a remnant. God always has a person. God always has a people. God has a light in the midst of the darkness. The darkness never overwhelms the light of God. And Simeon is one of those lights. He is this righteous light that is there that God is using in his life. We see in Simeon that he was a man that was first righteous. Now, this righteousness could be an internal righteousness, a righteousness, as we've talked about oftentimes, that you are justified by faith, 
by grace through faith, that you stand in a position if you are in Christ, that you are righteous in in his sight. Abraham was pronounced as justified by faith. He trusted ahead to the Redeemer. He was looking ahead to the Redeemer. He may not have known the Redeemer's name, but he was looking ahead to see that there was a Redeemer that was coming. We look back to the Redeemer. We know that the Redeemer has come. We know his name. We know what he has done. And we are justified by faith. Through grace, by faith through grace. Inevitably, it could be that. It also could be that he's not only righteous in the fact that he's positionally righteous, but he could be righteous and he's just practically righteous. That we find from his life that he lived a God-honoring life. He, he knew the word. As we see his praise in a moment, we're going to see that he just it was saturated with the word of God. The word just came out of him and through him and just poured out of his life. He spent time in prayer. He spent time speaking of God. And so he may have been righteous internally in the fact that he was righteous before God. He could be righteous practically in the fact that his daily walk was living a way that was honoring and glorifying of God. But he said it was not only was righteous, but it also says he is a man who was devout. He was devout in the fact that he was reverent. He was a God-fearer. He, he had a sincere devotion in his life. He, he set God apart in his heart and his life, and God was first. And as the world around him is looking for all the things and their pleasures and the things that are happening around them, maybe in the political life, maybe in, in materialism, maybe they were looking for the Redeemer to come and rescue them from these Roman, uh, citizen, uh, Roman leaders. I don't know, but what I do know is this, that Simeon was a man who loved God. He studied God. He knew God, and he wanted to speak boldly of God. That was the man that Simeon was. He was a man, not only was he righteous and devout, but he was waiting. I was talking to a friend this week about how many of us are actually eagerly waiting for the second return of Christ. How many of us, I got one hand back there. Only one? I, I got a couple more, praise the Lord. How many of you are looking at the signs and the times? How many of you are studying the word of God? And how many of you are eagerly waiting for Christ to return? Far too often, the sad reality is we don't even think about it. We spend our lives living day by day, coming to church and then going to work and and doing this for our homes and doing this for our families, and we don't think about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. And that was not Simeon. Simeon had spent his entire life here focusing, waiting and watching, and waiting and watching for the Messiah to come on his first advent. But the Messiah is coming again on his second advent, and we need to be waiting and watching as well. So, so what we see about Simeon is that he was righteous, he was devout, he was waiting, he was watching, but then it says that he was, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come upon believers and infuse them and empower them for service, but then leave. And they would come upon them again and leave. And what we've had is the privilege after Pentecost is that for all of us that know Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he will never leave you. 
And what, what was special about Simeon was that the Holy Spirit was just so upon him that he was walking by the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit, he was guided by the Spirit, he was directed by the Spirit for the glory and honor of God. And therefore, he must have been obedient. He, he listened to God. He honored God. He said, I am going to follow you. Oh, what a man we have here. That was Simeon, righteous and devout. That was Simeon. He was waiting and watching patiently. That was Simeon. He was an obedient man. I want you to not only think about the man, Simeon, I want you to hear about his motivation. Verse 26. What motivated Simeon's life? I see it. I think I see it right here in verse 26. It says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Can you imagine this revelation? Now, this must have been some special revelation that God had done for him personally. Now, I know there are a lot of people today that spend their lives focusing so much on special revelations that they receive from God, and they minimize the revelation that God has given us in his word. And we need to be very careful of that. But the reality is that there, there were times that God spoke to individuals in a special way that was supernatural. And, and in this way, exactly what he did with Simeon, he told Simeon, you're not going to die until you see my Savior come. Can you imagine the promise? I don't know how long it was that God had given it. The scripture doesn't tell us. That may have been days, it may have been weeks, it may have been months, it may have been years. I think it was a longer period of time where Simeon was told, you're not going to die until you see my Messiah. What a motivation in life. And so now every single day, I know I'm not going to die until I see his Messiah. And day after day, he is going and saying, is this going to be the day? And he goes home, it's not the day. But did he get discouraged? Apparently not, because day after day after day, he is waiting and he's watching and he's wanting to see the Messiah, the Messiah that comes. So he's, he's confident in this revelation that God has given him. Doug said last week that they heard the message and they believed the message and they lived according to that message. Well, that's exactly what Simeon was doing. He heard the message of God, he believed it, and then he lived his life day after day according to that hope. That was the motivating factor of his life. Most of us live our lives with this wish fulfillment. You know, I, I really wish that this would happen. But that was not a hope so or a wish fulfillment. He was confidently expecting that God was going to answer his prayer request. <sighs> what is your confidence? Where do you place your hope today? See, God has not just given you a word, one word. He has given you the whole word. And as we get into this book, 66 books, 66 love letters to you to talk to you about who he is and who you are and what he is requiring of you and what he is promising to do, this book is there. Do you believe it? Are you motivated by it? Do you live every day by it? Simeon was a man who was devout and righteous and waiting and watching and obedient. He was a man that was motivated. He was motivated by the promise, you're not going to die until you see my son. But then I see Simeon's movements. Verse 27. It says this, and he came in the spirit. Stop there. 
He was led by God. He was a man that was governed by God and directed by God and led by God. He was, pers- he was pushed by God in his life. Scripture says that if we walk by the Spirit, we will, not dis- uh, we will not deal with the desires of the flesh. That walking by the Spirit is, is this continuous action of life. It is about a manner of life. It's a lifestyle. It's about advancement. It's about step by step, day by day, I am being led by God, and I am growing and moving in life for the glory and honor of God. That was Simeon. Simeon's mission and his movements were that he came in the Spirit that day to the temple by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 37, 23 says, the steps of the man are established by God. Are your steps, moment by moment, day by day, being led by the Holy Spirit internally in your life? In Ephesians, it tells us, do not be filled with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled by what? The Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit should be the one that is directing the lives and what we do and how we say. What counsel we need from here. What comfort this is. What confidence that we can have that the sovereign God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us and is directing us and guiding us. He empowers us. He enables us. And he is directing your life today if you are trusting in him. You remember in Zechariah chapter 4, it says, Not by might... Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That God is doing this working and waiting and watching in our lives. So, so our lives should be filled by the spirit. We should be praying by the spirit. We should be speaking to one another by the spirit. We should be loving one another by the spirit. I should be parenting by the spirit. We should be running this church by the spirit. We should be working, even in your secular field, by the spirit. That should be the direction of your life. Simeon was a man who was devout and righteous. He was a man that was motivated by this call that God says, I'm going to take you. I'm not going to take you home until you see my son. He was, he was moved in mission. His movements were step by step by the Holy Spirit. And we continue to see how he's moved. It says on that day, verse 27, he came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, going back to Mary and Joseph, doing what the law says, he looked at him. I can't even imagine what must have been going through Simeon. You've told me, Lord, I am not going to die until see the Christ. And the Holy Spirit, for some reason today, is moving me to the temple. Why this day? And now, this day, there is a baby that comes in. Are there other babies? I don't know. It's a small town. I mean, it's Jerusalem. There's a lot of people in this town. There may have been other babies, but why is it this baby today? I do not know, but I do know this. The Holy Spirit says, I want you to go to the temple. And that's the one. And Simeon goes from being the man and his manner of life and what was motivating him and his mission to this marvelous praise in verse 28. He saw the Christ. I want you to think about the day that God opened your eyes to see Christ. 
You know, maybe you were in the darkest place in your life and it's like, you know, I am hell-bound and I have no hope and I want to die and God rescued you. There was something that was amazing that your eyes opened, your heart started to pump for Christ. I want you to think about that day because that was the day that Simeon had. He sees the Christ. And he, he grows into this level of majestic praise for God. He, he took, verse 28, he took him up in his arms. I, I can't even imagine what it had been like. You know, all babies are cute, right? But this is special. This child is special. As he looks at this child and he holds him in his arms, Simeon looks upward to God and he blessed God. This baby, his name is what? Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves. His, his name, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. He's, he's a, the Messiah and he's on a saving mission to bring his people to God. And, and Simeon, all he could do is just praise you God, worship you God, honor you God, bless you God. There was a celebration that was happening in Simeon's heart. You remember John the Baptist when Mary came with Jesus and the baby leaped in his womb? Can you imagine the leap that Simeon had? It was like, go, oh, he's here. The joy that was there in his life. And then he goes into this praise chorus. This majestic praise. He starts, Lord, he goes vertical. I talk to my clients about this often. We get so overwhelmed with the earthly. We get so overwhelmed with the horizontal. We need to go vertical. Well, that's exactly where he did. He looked at the baby, and then he looked up at God, the Father, and he says, Lord, he's praising him. You know, as we come to this worship service this morning, are you coming here for you? I like the music, I don't. I like the preaching, I don't. I like the chairs, I don't. Far oftentimes, we come into worship services worrying about us. We're not worrying about God. The worship service is about ultimately about the glory of God, and Simeon knew that. Simeon went straight up vertically to God and said, Lord, it's all about you. See, we believe that God changes us through vital relationships, but what you know is this, the primary relationship is vertical, that my relationship with Christ needs to be right, and that will overflow in love for you if I love him, am filled by him. Well, Simeon says, Lord, Lord, he goes vertical. Lord, he goes, he basically asks God to let him die. He says, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Your version may say, release your servant in peace. He talks about this idea of releasing or letting, and he talks about departing, and all of it is about, I can die now. I can die because I have seen the fulfillment. I could die in peace today because I have such an assurance of salvation. I have such an enlarged hope because you've shown me the Savior. Now I can die. I was thinking about Enoch. Enoch in the Old Testament, he walked with God and then he walked no more. I was thinking about Moses who was not allowed to go into the promised land, but he was allowed to go up onto the mountain and look over into the promised land and then he died. And now Simeon, Simeon is in essence saying, God, I can die now. 
How can he die? Because you have fulfilled your word and he can depart in peace. One of my spiritual heroes died this week. He actually died a couple of days ago. And as you think about death, as you think about leaving this life, can you think about leaving this life in peace? Some of us in this room are so fearful of death, so fearful of what's going to happen on the other side, so fearful of the process. I'm not, I don't like the process either, but the other side is amazing. And Simeon could say that I am so assured that my salvation rests in you and you alone. And I'm so assured that I take my last breath and I will see you that I could die in peace. I wonder this morning, have you that peace? Have you that comfort? Have you that assurance that if today were your last day, that you're going to an eternity where you're going to see the Father, you're going to see the Son, you're going to be there with the Spirit, you're going to be in community with other believers, there will be no more sin, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death. What an amazing thing that he could look at here. The majestic praise starts with the fact that God, Lord, it goes vertical. Then it goes to, I could even die right now, God. And then his praise goes to this, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I was listening to a um, speaker and he was talking about this difference between the eyes of the flesh and the eyes of faith. How many people walked by Mary and Joseph with this little baby this week at that time and saw Mary and Joseph and they looked and said, oh, what a cute little baby. Oh, aren't they a nice little couple? And they walked right by because they were seeing with the eyes of flesh. But there was something different about Simeon. He saw with the eyes of faith. He says, Lord, you, my eyes have seen your salvation. It got me and I got moved by this. Salvation is only found in one person. Every single person from the beginning of time to the end of time will be saved by this baby that he is holding in his arms. There is no other way of salvation that will come. I don't care what religion that is out there. The religion may tell you that you will get appeasement from God and glory in heaven. It will not happen unless it comes by this baby that Simeon is holding in his arms. And God, you have given me the ability to see your salvation. Salvation is from the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans tells us that it is from you and through you and to you that all things are, Lord. Salvation comes by no other name. I want you to think about that as you walk past people day after day. That unless they know Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're on a path to an eternity in hell. I don't think that hell grips us enough today to think about the fact that those of us that do not trust in Christ alone are going to spend an eternity away from God. Greater than that, you will spend eternity under the wrath of God. But you can be rescued by the one that Simeon's holding in his arms, the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon goes in verse 31 to say this, that you, once again, God, salvation is God, prepared in the presence of all people, 
What does prepared give me? It gives me the sense that God is the one who is the, the orchestrator. He's the designer of salvation. It's not about humanity making salvation. God is the one who designed salvation. He is the one who's directing salvation. He is the one who purposed it. He is the one who planned it. He is the one who prepared for it. He is the one that has done the work to purchase you if you're in Christ. He even pursued you, and he is the one who will pardon you. It's all of him. All the glory goes to him. And he's done this in the presence of all people. This is a great savior I want you to think about as he's holding this baby in his arms. See, Israel thought that this savior was only going to redeem Israel. But this is too great a savior just to redeem just a small group. This is a savior that is going to redeem humanity. In Revelation, you remember where it says that every tribe, there'll be a great multitude that no one could number, every nation from all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. There is a global extent that this young baby is going to have. The gospel is going to go out and it's going to spread this world. And yes, there will be people from the Gentile world and Israel that will be brought together in the person of Christ. But I want you to know that when he says that it will be all prepared for all people, that doesn't mean that all people will be saved. Because Jesus was sure in saying this, that the way is broad that leads to destruction. Many are on that path. And then he talked about the fact that there's a narrow path and few find that. He talked about there was a gate that was open and those that pass by will be saved. He is the gate. He is the door. Our salvation comes through this baby who grew to be a man that Simeon is holding in his arms. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Remember, it's a dark world that they're living in. Out of darkness comes light. And this baby is this light shining through the darkness. And it is glory to the people, Israel. What a praise chorus. And as as Simeon is offering this praise, this man who is devout and righteous and waiting and watching and obedient and filled with the Spirit, this man whose life mission and motivation is, I've heard from you, God, and I am living every day according to that. And my mission is, I'm going to be led by the Spirit. And now this majestic praise that comes out of his life. And he ends his praise and he turns to the father and mother. What in the world must have been Joseph and Mary thinking? Now, they had already seen an angel. I mean, that must have blown their minds. An angel came to Mary and an angel came to Joseph, but now this man is talking these things about my son? What does verse 33 say? And the father and his mother marveled. They were shocked. They were dumbfounded. I I, I mean... Completely bewildered. I've already told you, I don't know if I feel secure raising this baby myself and how incredible this baby is. He's the son of God. But now you've just told me about all these things that my son is going to do. And they marvel at it. And they're overwhelmed. And then we get to his message. Simeon then turns and blessed them And he turns to Mary. And he turns to Mary. We don't know why. 
I think one of the reasons why is that in, if you read the end of this chapter, Jesus at 12 years old is in the temple. That was the very last time that we hear of Joseph. Joseph is not heard of from that time where he's 12 years old to 30. So somewhere in that gap before he gets orchestrated into his earthly ministry, somewhere in there it is likely that Joseph passed away. So Simeon turns to Mary. And he gives her a three-point message. Now, I've given you five points. I'm sorry. He gives a good three-point message. And he says this. Behold, this child, verse 34, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is to be opposed and a sword that will pierce through your own soul. The three points that I want you to hear is this. Jesus Christ will be a stone. Jesus Christ will be a sign, and Jesus Christ will be a sword. So let's look at the first one. Jesus Christ will be a stone. It says, Behold, this child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, time after time it talks about the fact that Jesus Christ or God will become a stumbling stone. It's almost like you're walking down the road and it's dark and you're walking down the road and then you trip over that stone and you fall. That the Bible talks about this stone that God is, is a stone of stumbling or it is a rock that you can build your life on. You remember Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he had talked about those who build their lives on what? Sand. And the winds and the waves come and beat against the house and it falls. But those that build their houses upon the what? The rock. The winds and the waves come and it beats against that house and it will stand. And symbolically, what he's talking about is this, that Jesus Christ is going to be a stone of stumbling for those that don't trust in him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, it actually says that Jesus Christ is the stone of stumbling. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 40, uh, 14 through 15, it says this, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling, both to the house of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, and they shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and taken. In Hosea chapter 14, it says this, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the way of the Lord are right, and upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble over them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, actually I'll go back to 22, it says, For the Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both to Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Today I need you to consider that Jesus Christ is a stone. He will either be a stone on which you stumble and fall, or he will be a stone and a rock on which you build your life by faith. Which one is he to you? But then he didn't stop there. He didn't just say that Jesus Christ was a stone. He talked about the fact that Jesus Christ was a sign. We see that here. He says, for a sign that is to be opposed. I want you to consider that no one in this earth has ever been 
as blasphemed as the Lord Jesus Christ. No one in this earth has been as hated and rejected as the person of Christ. Billions of people have rejected Christ. Day after day, they, they may make it out to seem like, oh, he's such a nice guy. He was such a good counselor. He had some good counsel. But they don't trust in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They don't trust in him as king. And they speak against the salvation that God has offered. And he's a sign that has been opposed. He has been spoken against. The religious leaders are going to speak against this baby. The religious leaders who should have known the Old Testament and known that this was the Messiah who was going to grow to be a man and to become our Savior, they rejected him. Not only did they reject him verbally, they rejected him physically. They hated him and they crucified him. We come to a Christmas celebration, we come to a Lord's table. And sometimes we just pass by it. We don't think about Christ. And I ask you to consider this, that Jesus Christ is a sign. Why is it that I could talk about other religions in this world out in the public, but I can't talk about Christ? Why is it that I will be opposed when I talk about Christ? Because there's something within humanity that knows that he is the Lord and Savior and they don't want to submit to him. Jesus Christ is a stone that we will stumble over, we will stand. Jesus Christ is a sign that will be violently opposed, and Jesus Christ is a sword. The harshest words are the most difficult words he turns to Mary. And the sword will pierce through your own soul. I sat there thinking about holding my baby in, in my arms and, and already knowing that my baby is destined to die a terrible death. I want you to consider that um, Mary, as he looks, as she looks at this baby, she's going to go through personal grief. I want you to consider that Mary has been watching her son for these years and people have been attacking him. I want you to hear Mary as her son is arrested. I want you to hear Mary as, as her son is tried. By the very law he created, he's being tried. I, w- I want you to hear Mary as, as her son is being spit upon. I want you to hear Mary's grief as, as she watched her son's back being opened by the whips. I want you to hear Mary's grief as, as the beard is being pulled out from him and as those thorns are being rammed in and as they ram those nails into his hands. And as he, as he lifts up just to take a breath, there is not a mom in this room that wouldn't want to die for their kid. Let me die in his place. And she can't do anything about it to stop it. And that sword pierced her heart. But that sword also pierces our heart. Because if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that sword pierced your heart because God exposed your heart and said that you desperately need my Savior. You need my Son. You can't do it on your own. I've given you the greatest gift that I could ever give you, and your heart was pierced on the day. I can remember the day that God opened my eyes and drew me to faith in him. 
Can you remember the day that he did that for you? That sword pierced your heart. So today I want you to know that every person that sits here and and sees me, every person that hears my voice this morning, every single one of us is going to stand before God and have to give an account. We will be judged by this baby that Simeon is holding in his hands. On his first advent, he came here to save. On his next advent, he comes here to judge. I ask you this morning, do you trust him? Have you turned to him? There is no other path of salvation. 1 John 5 says, whoever has the son has what? Life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Jesus Christ said, I am the door by which you come in. Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I ask you this morning, what is your relationship with God? What is your relationship with this stone? Is he a stumbling stone in your life? Have you sat here week after week, month after month, year after year? Have you gone through decades of Christmas celebrations and you forgot about Christ Mass? It's about Christ. Anna, this uh, woman right at the end here, is this prophetess, 84 years old, and she was a widow, and And she could have spent her life in disillusionment and despair, but what she did was spend her life in worship and praise. And God, by the Holy Spirit, drove her to the temple on this day to see the sun. And what she did was she spoke of God's wonderful grace. So I ask you this morning, as I look at Simeon, his manner of life was he was devout, he was righteous, he was obedient, he was a waiter, he was a watcher, he was filled by the Spirit, but he was at peace. He was motivated by the fact that God had told him truth and he believed it. His mission was every day he would go out there looking for the Christ, but on this day he came by the Spirit in this majestic praise that he goes vertical first and then he looks at this baby and then he talks about this amazing salvation and then he gives a message Jesus Christ is going to be a stone, a sign, or a sword. So this morning, I want you to consider, you will stand before that Christ. One of the beauties of that Christ and the justification that Simeon trusted in was the fact that um, he knew that he could die in peace. I wonder if that's you today. Don't miss Christ in Christmas. Don't miss Christ in this table that we're taking this morning. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that God has opened your eyes to see the beauty of salvation and the wonder of his grace. And if he has opened your eyes, go vertical, praise him, and then go horizontal. Take that message like Anna did out to others to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, we praise you and thank you. Father, it's interesting, um, Doug was talking last week about nobodies, these shepherds. Why is it that you took a, a young girl who nobody really knew, Mary, 
You took an old couple like, um, like Elizabeth and Zechariah. You took these, these shepherds out in the dirty field to come and be with your son. And you took this man, Simeon, and this widow, Anna, because you care about nobodies because everybody is somebody to you. So Lord, I thank you for the fact that you've created us all. I thank you for the fact that we're all in your image. I thank you for the fact that you have pursued us through Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that you purchased us by your blood. Lord, I pray that for those that are here this morning that have never trusted in your son, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.